One of the biggest struggles of our time, whether you're Christians or not, is financial struggle. People are struggling with their finances. Do you know, they just recently did a poll, I just saw it on newspaper, that to- only 25% of Canadians in this country feel like they have a handle on their money. But the rest really don't have a good handle on their money. They don't feel safe. They're worried about money. They worry about whether they can make, uh, make ends meet, pay the bills, you know. And unfortunately, that's 25%. Not all of them are Christians. Not, these are not the Christian the believers who are born again that say that they have financial Sabbath because many Christians, even in this house, are struggling with their finances, struggling to pay their bills, worry, you know, if they lose their job tomorrow, they're, 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 they're in trouble. They just don't know, wouldn't know how to pay the bills. But God in his promise of rest include the rest in our finances. He wants us to have complete financial Sabbath. You know what that is, right? Complete rest in your finance. I just want you to imagine this, that you don't have to ever worry about money anymore. How many of you want to be in that place that you don't have to ever worry about money? And that you don't go to work because you need money. Isn't that awesome? See, God's promise is that you should have financial Sabbath and that you don't go work and make a living anymore because you are going to have such a rest in your finances. I'm going to show you today, and it requires discipline in your you know, but God's promise is that you don't have to work for your money anymore, nor should you, you know. You're not stressed from month to month. You're not stressed when bills come in. You know, some people, you know, I remember when I was younger, you know, I, I just don't like to go to the mailbox. I live in a condo, you know, and there's a mailbox down there. I just don't like to go to the mailbox because they're either full of marketing materials or bills. Never, not even once, a love letter. You know, and you know, <laughs> it's not like they have a check coming into There's nothing. And you know, I mean, you know, uh, my wife and I, we didn't do love letter. We talk on the phone. We just burn up the bills with phone, you know. In the old days, long distance is very expensive, right? But anyways, you know, nobody wants to, to, to look at the bills. And these days, you know, even emails, like, Ooh, every time a meal comes in, you have a new bill. <laughs> Thank you. You know, credit card company, oh, just want to remind you, <laughs> your new invoice is here, you know. And just, just, oh, it's very stressful. And God does not want us to have any stress in our finances. I'll show you today how it is that you can live in absolute financial Sabbath. It is your promise. It is your inheritance. Now, we're going to look at the two key verses that we've been looking at uh, for the past few weeks. And uh, the first one is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4. It says, For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested. Now, let's stop here. A lot of people, after they heard this statement, they just don't keep on reading. They say, okay, God rested. And yet Jesus, in John chapter 5, 17, says, My father has been working all this time, even as I'm working. So who is lying here? Well, God is not lying. It's just because people don't continue reading on the same scriptures, they just assume that God rested, and therefore they can rest, and therefore they do nothing. Well, the truth is that God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Everybody say, from all his works. Let's say it again. God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Now, skip to verse 10. 
Now, whoever has entered into God's rest has also what? Rested from what? His works as God did from his. This is the key point. We are to rest like the way God rests. How did he rest? He rested from working on his own behalf. He ceased working from all, not just some, all his works. If he has ceased from all his works and yet Jesus said he has been working on something, what has God been working on since the creation of Adam and Eve? Well, certainly not his works. He is not working to cause any more increase for himself. Ever since he created Adam and Eve, he had stopped working on the increase for himself. God has been working, watch this, on our behalf. On uh, the behalf of our benefits, our well-being, the benefits of humanity. Sending his prophets, his ministers to show us that the day will come that he himself, as a form of his son, Jesus Christ, will come and die for us. He had not done anything for himself except for us. He has been working for your salvation and my salvation. And our salvation has absolutely zero to do with his well-being. He doesn't get any increase from our salvation. You say, what about those people who are saved? You know, they come and praise and worship God. What about, you know, do we, do we give God something? Does he, do, do we cause an increase? You know, people believe, actually, actually believe that, you know, in our belief system, many Christians believe that God will be benefited or have some kind of increase and experience some kind of benefits when we praise and worship him. Do you realize that that kind of thinking is from myth, uh, Greek mythology? You know, in Greek mythology, they believe that the deities, their strength is coming from your praise and worship. So the more you praise God, the more you praise the deity, whatever deity there is out there, the tons of them, right? The more strengthened they become, the more mightier they become. And so all these deities is all just crushed and disappear. Why? Because nobody had worshipped them. But the God that you and I serve are not like that. They're not the Greek God with, in the Greek mythology. Do you know what they are? The God that we serve, he is mighty whether you worship him or not. He's awesome whether you worship him or not. You know, he has all the power, all the might, whether you worship him. He will never be held hostage on our praise and worship. So when you worship him, he doesn't give him, make him any bigger. Humanity worship or lack of worship does not add nor take away his strength and glory. Your praise and worship, and worship is actually for you. I know there was a preacher's wife uttered that statement, you know, a number of years ago, and all the whole Christendom just get bent out of shape, you know, twisted and bent out of shape like pretzels. Like, oh, how could you say that? It's for God. Really? You think God will have... Something to increase in him by you worshiping him? You think you have such a power to hold the influence of adding to God? Those are the paganistic ideas. Those are the ideas by people who created their own God. The 
God we all serve, he was here way before you show up, way before you even uttered the first praise in worship, and he's going to be here long after you're long gone. He will still be powerful, awesome, and amazing with or without your worship. That's the God we serve. So the God we serve is like that. And so your worship is actually for you. You know, we worship God because it allows us to connect with him. He said that when you praise him, worship him, he inhabits your praises. Why do you want to do that? Because you want to connect with God. It's nothing to do with him. You worship him because you want to fellowship with him. You worship him because you get to be ushered into his presence. It's for your benefits. You worship because you, you will be strengthened. Now, I always say this, you know, you want to pray. You, you're weak, you feel weak. You know, you worship God, you praise him, and you'll be strengthened. You'll find strength in your worship. That's why you worship God. We worship God to defeat our enemies. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, God had taught us that if you want to defeat your enemies that are usually much bigger than you, you worship God. In the old days, they usually put the praise and worship up front before they go battles with the bigger armies. They always win. Why? Because worship helped you to defeat your enemies. Worship helped you to get healed. If you've been in church long enough, you heard stories of people praise and worship God and see themselves get healed. I just share a story this morning with the first service, you know. I said, you know, some of you don't probably remember it. You know, if you've been in this church long enough, for those of you who are not, you know, it's a new story for you, so praise the Lord. So I, you know, one time I had this flesh disease or something, you know, in my ankle. And the wounds never close. You know, I go to all kinds of doctors and specialists, you know, again, to Sunnybrook, you know. You know, spend all kinds of times, you know, going to MRI, scanning, all that kind of stuff. The flesh could not heal. I couldn't do any, I love swimming, I couldn't swim because, you know, and every time you take a shower, you have to put your leg out, right? You don't want any, you, know, you just, you don't want any water, you know, into, and you know, that's pus coming out and all that. You know, and it's painful. I pray and say, God, heal me, heal me, heal me. Nothing happened. So one day, you know, one morning, I was, I was woken up by the pain. So, but, you know, I had to go and sit in the throne, you know, you know what that is, right? Just do my business, you know, I'm sitting down, and I was in pain, and so I just opened up, you know, I had this little uh, dressing, right? So I opened up the dressing, and I could even see the bone. I was like, oh, Jesus, why? This is how we pray all the time, why? And there's a voice inside me say, why don't you come and praise and worship me? So I started to praise the Lord. You know, Sunnybrook, you know, Sunnybrook, the doctor says, you know, we, we need to cut you open. I need to cut you up, slice you at the back here to find out what's wrong with the blood vessels because it's not sending blood to that part of your leg so that it's not healing. See, you need the blood to, to bring healing, right? It's not sending blood to that part of your legs, and that's why your flesh is not closing up. I was like, I said, I said and then, does that mean that you're going to fix it? He said, well, we're not going to fix it. We're just going to find out what it is. I said, what? You're going to open me up just to find out what it is? Are you serious? I'm not going to be a guinea pig for you. I forget it. So I come home, you know, but, you know, I come, and, and the Holy Spirit said, you praise me. So I started to praise and worship God. I started a song, you know. I am healed, though I don't feel it, but I am healed. I praise and worship you because I'm healed. I'm healed, don't I? I don't feel it, but I'm healed. So I just make a tune out of it and sing it. You start singing the song, you know, for the next few days. And the wounds started to close. And today I can swim. You see, praise and worship. Come on, give praise to the Lord. Praise and worship give you victories. If you have something that you're confronting that's so much greater than your ability to overcome, praise and worship God. So praise and worship God. It's not for God. It's for us. 
So what God has been doing is exclusively working on our behalf since the creation of Adam and Eve. He had left all that would cause increase to him to solely look after our well-being. We may even have rebelled against him, but he still had work, and work had been working on our behalf because he loved humanity that much. Now then, how do we rest? You see, God rested from his works. How do we rest? Well, we rest the same way he rests. Verse 10, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from all the works. Is it true? No, it's from his works as God did from his. God never told you to rest from all the works. God told you to rest from your own work. In other words, if you want to rest, truly rest, you rest from your own works, things that will benefit you. Don't work for yourself anymore. Work for him. But you say, I serve him in the weekend. But what about rest for the remaining of the week? Are you telling me, pastor, that I should quit my job and forsake my family? Well, let me explain to you what I mean. And I want you to have an open mind. I'm going to say something that's going to jar you and offend you. Is that going to be okay? Yes. All right. So it's going to, it's going to actually offend some of the theology. Because, you know, I used to hold that theology until recently. And I don't hold that anymore. So if you still do, and it's going to, it's going to, you're going to love me, right? Yes. Just nod your head so you're going to love me. Yes. You're going to love me? Yes. All right. Some of you have stones ready to throw at me. Okay. Have you ever heard, um, have you ever heard this term that says God first, family second, and ministry third? Come on, be honest with me. Have you heard that? Yep. Well, that's a lie. <laughs> I used it all the time. Ever since I was a pastor, I've been using that. God first, family second. And ministry third. I think it's a very deceptive statement. When you say God first, what does that mean? It's just words. Oh, you do a devotion in the morning, that means God first? What does it mean, God first? Let me give you an analogy. My precious wife. You know, apart from God, I tell her, honey, you are number one. You are number one. And then when I got home Monday from work, you know, I said, honey, you know, can you do the dishes? Honey, you are number one. <laughs> and I'm just going to take care of myself first, then I'll take care of you. Well, that's essentially what we're telling God. God, you are number one, but I'm not going to do anything for you. It's just words. Young ladies, beware of men that only give words. They come to you with pretty flowers, you know. Oh, I love you. Ooh, you are the, my universe, you know. And then you go, oh, <laughs> and they wouldn't even pay for your meal. <laughs> what kind of boyfriend is that? Come on. Just words. And we treat God the same way. Words, just words. Oh, I put you first, Lord. Hallelujah. You know, you can tell a person priority by two things, his checkbooks and his schedule. 
A lot of people say, good for food. Oh, God, I put you first. It's just words. You look like those boyfriends that say, I love you and don't pay for the meal. It's a Western idea. When we say God first, what do we mean? The truth is that if you, if, if you examine our hearts, we actually mean God first, but not really family first, and then God last when I have time. It's them and their family first, and then God last. I know we came up with the ideas in the 70s, 80s, is because we saw a lot of breaking downs of families, you see. Pastors, you know, having affairs, you know, people are leave, you know, people are just feeling burned out in church. I understand that. And so we say, you know, take care of yourself, take care of families, you know. We see that, you know, people stop serving God, you know, children stop serving God, so, so take care of a family. So we come up with these ideas, and 30 years later, this is what happened. There are more suicides among pastors, and you know what? Our children are not serving God anymore. Because monkey see, monkey do. You know, this God first, family second, and ministry third cannot be found in the Bible. Who got, who came up with that idea? If I get to heaven, I'll slap him a few times. What's wrong with you? There's no such thing. You know, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Come on. It's not as for me and my house, we'll love the Lord first, and then we'll serve ourselves then. If we have time, when we retire, we'll serve the Lord. That's a warp idea. That is not a scriptural idea. We're not really serving God. We're serving something else. You see, it's not God first, family second, and ministry third. It is God, period. He is all in all. You don't go God first, family second. You know, whatever you do in your family, man, listen to me. You are the shepherd and the pastor of your home. If you do not know how to shepherd and pastor your children to serve God, don't be surprised they're not serving God when they grow old. They go, I don't know what happened. Must be the education system. No. You have the responsibility to make sure that you serve the Lord. Joshua didn't say, oh, as for me, I'll serve the Lord, my household, well, whatever they like. There is days where I say, you want to serve God, honey? You want to serve God? No, I don't do that, man. I tell them to serve God. As long as I'm feeding you, you serve God, Shandai. They don't have time to minister and serve because you're too busy doing fun stuff with the family. After all, it's God first. Second is the family. Fun, fun, fun. Ministry, ah, forget it. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. The house of the Lord is left in ruins. Do you know that Christianity over the past 30 years has been in fast decline in the Western world? Do you know why? You say, oh, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, maybe there are other factors, but I think one of the biggest contributors is this, this deception. Most people say, oh, I'm going to take care of my family before I worry about God or ministries. As though ministries is separated from God. What kind of warped idea is that? 
Not only are churches in ruins, people are cold, people's lives are in ruins, including Christian lives are in ruins, out of rest, struggling, struggling in relationships, struggling in their finances, struggle, struggle. Why? Because the enemy has so convinced us the lies about God first, family second, and ministry third. My friends, if God is the center of it all, this statement is very false. If you're not in rest, listen, if you find yourself not in rest, struggling to make ends meet, your relationships are not strong at home, your family, your work with your boss is mean to you, I got news for you today. There is a solution to help you to have victory and have rested in his house. I want to encourage you as you listen that you would seriously consider reprioritize your life and your family lives. We are not at rest because we have been working, watch this, for ourselves. Our family is not at rest because we've been working for our family. When the key to rest is to cease from our own works. The works for our home, the works for our career, the works for our money, the works for our family, the works for our children. Cease from it, and then God is going to intervene on your behalf. You can keep working at it, go to psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, use the symptoms of the world, borrow money, whatever. You're going to get more stressful by the day. Now, how is it that we cease from our own works? Well, I just share with you a little bit, reprioritize your priority. I tell you this, if you serve God first, there'll be favors coming into your life. If you serve God first, God will open the door for you. Some people think that serving God is just a weekend activity. We have compartmentalized our faith as if God is only available on the weekend. When we say, God, I, I put you first, and he only has two hours on Sunday, does it really sound like he is first? I'm not preaching this to bring condemnation, please. We are done with that. We're not in condemnation, in guilt, but I want to show you why many Christians are struggling. God is not mad at you. He's not judging. He's not causing wrath upon you, but he's sending me as a servant to show you the way. Hey, hello, wake up. This, this way is not working. How do we cease from own works? Reprioritize our time. Readjust our thinking. Everything we do, we do it unto the Lord. If you're no longer thinking how to make your home better, if you're no longer thinking how to make your own career better, how to make money for yourself, then you are seizing from your works. When you cease from your works, your thinking now is, what breaks God's heart breaks yours. What delights the heart of the Lord delights you. You know, there was this really false interpretation that we hear people do all the time. It said, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. So we interpret that as, as you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you whatever desire, however immoral it is, of your heart. And that's why there are men, you know, walking around the church, or even women walking around the church, they very confident say that, I know the Lord has given you to me as a wife. Because they thought, I delight myself in the Lord. I come and worship the Lord. So therefore, it is really natural. God had given me the desire of my heart. Oh, you're so pretty. It's mine. You're mine. 
Because God promised it. He said, if you stand on his promise, he will have it done. So they stood on it and go around and say, God told me this and that. And it's a lie because that's a wrong interpretation. This is a true interpretation. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you his desire to be your desire. He will give you the desire of your heart. The desire of your heart is his desire. What is his desire? It's his house. One thing that when they say unto me, I was glad when they say unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord. That's the desire of the Lord. The word of God say that one thing that I desire, the things which I seek earnestly is to do what? It's to dwell in the house of the Lord. What? All the day. Not weekends. Hello. All the days of my life to behold his beauty and to inquire in his temple. I'm not telling you to be religious. I'm telling you, I'm encouraging you to discover the sweetness and the awesomeness of the presence of God and that you will pursue his presence, his desire, and his delight is supposed to be yours. Because what that interpretation had been doing for the church is that he messed a lot of people up. People come to, had come to the conclusion that the Bible is not true because we have misinterpreted the Bible and say it's the word of God. So quiet. The delight of God's heart is that, you know, we worship him. We love one another. Do not use the freedom you have, Ephesians says, to indulge in your own flesh, but serve one another in love. That's the desire of God's heart. You say, what about my family? Well, serve God with your family. You know, I know this. Exxon Mobile executive, here we go. I didn't get to share the story in the first service. They go, ah, you know. So here, you got, this, you got to hear the story. I know the Exxon Mobile executive. You know what Exxon Mobile is, right? The largest oil company in the world. Supposedly the most evil one. But, you know, anyways, let's not go there. <laughs> but this executive at Exxon Mobile, he's a friend of mine. And uh, I think he's still a friend, although I haven't talked to him for 20 years. But anyway, so uh, we used to know each other really well. And... Um, so he, um, he used to spend a lot of his time in, in the occult. After he'd make a lot of money, he spent a lot of time in the occult, you know, seeking for third eye, the whole thing, just crazy stuff. You know, a lot of people in, in, uh, in Wall, uh, working in New York City, Wall Street, they're really into a lot of the, the Eastern religious occult. I don't know if you know that. But anyway, so he's one of those guys, you know, and, and uh, uh, super rich. I mean, his house worth like millions, it's just him, he's super rich. He loved to drink, you know. He had like collection of some of those most amazing wine collection you could ever find on this planet, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars of wine. So one day he got saved. And so he, took, he went to his wine cellar and he poured away all his wine. You say, are we not so allowed to drink? You know, that's his theology. Don't judge him, right? So he said, you know, like I, I just don't want to drink anymore. And he got rid of all his wine. He said he could have sold it on Kijiji. But whatever, it was his heart. But anyway, so he, he got rid of all his wine, you know. And then he started to serve the Lord. By the time I knew him, he had been doing it for quite a few years. And uh, I, he had, we have a mutual friend, and he, he would tell me that, uh, that this, this, this brother is super amazing, the sacrifice he's making. So he would take his wife and his children, snow, rain, whatever, they would go and serve God three to four nights a week. I'm not telling him to do that. That's, I'm, I'm not, I'm just, just, just understand his heart. He said, you know what I do? I throw my son in the back of the car. He's like two years old at the time or whatever, really small. And then we just go and do visitation, go to small group, go to training, go to different things. And he said, that was the best time I have in my life. 
with all the wealth he had was no comparison to the time he got saved, experienced the power of God, and enjoying and serving. He said, I am serving God because I delight in his presence. It's not a burden. It's not some kind of guilt from my pastor because the desire of my heart had become it's not my desire anymore, but the desire of the Lord. So he was one of the busiest in the world. I knew his wife. You know, his wife got saved first. And she's like, oh, I just pray for him all the time. And I was so happy when he came back. He said he accepted the Lord. Or there was some incident. Anyways, he accepted the Lord. He was so happy. And she was like so happy. Then I said, you know, I mean, your son, you know, I was thinking like a North American, typical Christians in North America. You know, your son, you know, he'll be so bitter or whatever. But his son is serving the Lord today. But you say it only weekend or weeknights. What about other time? How do I serve God full time? Do I quit my job? Well, not necessarily. I'm going to show you how you can serve God full time while being at your job. How do you do that? Watch this. Make your job God's job. Now remember, we started to talk about Sabbath of our finances, right? So if your job belongs to God, he will give you not only Sabbath at work, but he will give you Sabbath in the money that you make from your work. Now how do you make your job God's job? Well, let me, let me explain to you this. So for example, if I start a company, you know a lot of people say this, before I use the illustration, a lot of people say, God, you know, I give you my job. Again, they're just words. What does that mean? Oh, I do a devotion before I start my day. Really? It's giving your job to God? <laughs> you know, people, we think funny, Christian. Come on, let's challenge that, that conventional thinking. That's not giving God your job. It's just your time with the Lord. You give God nothing so far. When we say, God, I give you my job, you know what we're saying? God, I give you my headache, my trouble. Please come and help me. But they didn't give God any job. You know why? Because they're not sharing the profit with God. Amen. Like for example, I start a company, you know. See, I start a construction company. I have a few partners. Right? We all have the chip dollars. And then we always have to expense our energy together, go and work together to build homes, design, whatever. We take on the liability. We take on the risk and so forth, Right? Can you imagine I own 25% of the company and when they started making money hands over fists, I get nothing. And yet they say, well, we gave you 25% of the job, of, of the company, but I got zero profit. Does that mean that I have, uh, they, they, I have the part of the company I share to come? No, I just got to work in the troubles. I've been working on charity for them. And the same thing, we, we treat God the same way. God, I give you all my job, my job's yours. And you make a profit from it? <laughs> what do you mean I have to give some money to you? You think God is a fool? You don't think he knows our motive and kindness of our soul? I'm not trying to judge you or condemn you, but I just want you to see some truth here. 
If you say, God, I give you all my work, yes, he's going to intervene. He's going to bless you. But if you're going to give him all your work, you got to give him all the profits. Don't leave yet. I haven't finished yet. See, don't walk out of my service. If you say you're going to give God all your job, you, and he's going to intervene, he's truly going to intervene, that means he, you should give him all the profits. Otherwise, you're not giving nothing to him. Are you here this morning? So how do we give to us? See, God in his grace know that it's huge. It's huge. It's a challenge to us. And when we say, God, I give you everything, and to give all the profits to him. Now, watch this. All he asks for is 10%. All he asks for, we don't have time to go through it right now, is 10%. If you can't even do that, don't say, God, I give you my job. Let's be honest with, it, with ourselves and with God. He said, test me. He's allowing us to test him. And see if I will not perform for you. I, I love one of, the, one of the statements uttered by a very famous uh, uh, televangelist, you know, uh, that many of people in this church work for. <laughs> uh, initial AW, you know. He, he said this. He said, we are redeemed from the curse of the Lord. We have no curse at all. Even if you don't tithe, don't give 10%, there's no curse. But guess what? The tithe and the giving is not about curse. It's about the blessings. You are positioning yourself to be blessed. Don't worry, I'm not receiving any offering. I don't do this. I don't raise money. This is for your sake. Some of you have been struggling with your finances over and over and over again, and you wonder why. Some of you are feeling insecure with your job. You worry that the next day, and that's why your boss can abuse you. That's why you don't know how to push back. That's why you're living in fear. But if God has your job, honey, you have no fear. You're going to have confidence, spring in your steps when you walk in the office. You're not dragging yourself in the office. You're full of joy, hope, and anticipation. Why? You're rested now. Now, really believe in this giving and tithing. My family has done that. But to help you, we're going to give you a guarantee. Now, if you've been in this church long enough, you know that I do that. All, we do that all the time. If you're not too sure if this thing is going to work, pick up an agreement at the back of the service, at the offering terminal. There is a tithe challenge agreement that will guarantee that your situation will improve and God will intervene on your behalf if you faithfully tithe for the next 90 days, and if it doesn't work, we give you back all your money. Fully guarantee, full refund. We have no excuse. You say, are you sure it's going to work? Because I know it works all the time. Works for me, works for anybody who has done it. And we have a few people taking up the challenge in the past. Not one soul had asked for refund. And it's not like they started it and we all forget about it and hopefully they forget too. We actually send a reminder to them after 90 days. Does it work for you? You can still claim a refund. 
So we're not joking around. God is faithful. I want to see that you are set free from your financial struggle, that you will truly have financial Sabbath. You know, we Christians should not be struggling hand to mouth all the time. We Christians should be living in such liberty and freedom that, man, I tell you, when, when it comes to money, it doesn't even cross our mind. Now, I'm not telling you to be totally irresponsible with your money and go and buy the most expensive watch, you know, and buy the most expensive car that you cannot afford. This is what I'm advocating. I'm advocating financial rest. God is going to give you wisdom. God is going to open doors for you, give you favors like you never uh, imagined before. Listen, I tell you, please do not feel condemned if you're struggling with this idea of serving God wholeheartedly, serving Him. Condemnation is not the way we operate. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I'm telling you this. You say, I don't want to serve God. That's your choice, right? You are still righteous in His sight. You're still going to heaven. He still loves you as much. But He's just showing you in His Word how you can get ahead in this lifetime. I don't want to see Christian in this church struggling like the world. You know, they say this, they have been saying recession is coming forever, but never really showed up. But you know, they say recession is coming, recession is coming. You and I shouldn't be worried about recession. If you're a tither, you shouldn't worry. You know, I remember a few years, number of years ago, quite a number of years ago, over 10 years, maybe even longer, that I know somebody, you know, she, she, uh, she, lost, she lost her job. And then I told her, I said, you know, you're a tither. You should not worry a little bit. Not one bit. And you know, in a short time, she found a job to pay better. <laughs> Sometimes losing a job is a good idea. Otherwise, you wouldn't be looking, right? That's a revelation right there, right? And she found a better job. See, our God is a faithful God. Everybody say, my God is a faithful God. So if you want to practice what you heard today and you're not too sure, let me hold your hand and give you that guarantee. What I'm doing is that I say, it's okay. I'm right here. As your pastor, I'm walking with you. I'm not looking for your money. I'm just walking with you. And if you do it wholeheartedly, I know you'll see victory. There's another sister in this church, you know. When I first met her, you know, I said, Sister, you got a, you got a tithe? If you got one, God bless you. He said, I can't, I can't afford it. I got my mortgage. I, can't even, I don't even know how to meet, make ends meet. You know, she, she was a professional. She make good money, you know. I, I, just, I just can't afford it. I can't afford it. I can't do it. I said, I don't know. You can do whatever you want, but that's the word of the Lord. I remember the first time she came, you know, I would be sitting where Peter is sitting, you know, and she comes out, and, you know, she had the two big eyes, you know, and she looked back, she's like, I don't know. I don't know. In my heart, I was like, I don't know too. Oh, God, please help, you know. No, I'm just kidding. Right, so she put her offering in. Today, she's one of the most faithful giver and tithe in this church. And she'll tell you stories of surprises that had come her way. Friends, do you want to live struggling with your finances, with your job all the days of your life? Your life is way too short to contend with that. God wants you to have peace. You say, is it too late to start? I'm 95. You know, it's never too late. It's never too late. Today's a day. I tell you, there will be such a breakthrough in your spiritual walk with the Lord. In everything that you do. You know, money represents a lot. Our sweat, our future, 
our joy, our potential of buying all the toys and our retirement. Money is our security. Money is everything. What you do is when you offer unto the Lord, you are offering your life to Him. It's easy to say, oh God, I serve you, I serve you, I serve you. And can't even do this. It's just words. And that's why that's not a lot of breakthrough. It's no point in asking Christian to come out and weave, you know, in the old Pentecostal days, I'm Pentecostal, right? Come out and cry, oh, no, yeah, and do nothing in their lives. It's just an emotional thing. We don't want emotional. We want true, living testament that works.